that this is Advanced Sunday. And so once a month at Faith, we uh, try to keep things a little bit abbreviated here in the main room so that we can um, divide the people up because we're great dividers No. Uh, really, the goal is so that we can allow ladies to um, receive instruction from uh, our ladies ministry leader, Michelle Kenny, and our men stay behind in this room uh, and hear from Jeff Dion. And so we're going to um, break uh, at the bottom of the hour as best as we can if the preacher is not long winded and uh, ask you guys to quickly make your way to those areas. So the ladies will meet out in the hub. The men will stay here and see what the Lord has for us. So uh, if you're new to faith, we really are glad to see you. I know that what I just explained might sound a little bit weird, and so we don't intend it to be, but uh, we do believe that those opportunities are important. Uh, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith, too, if you're, again, if you're new. And so um, uh, every once in a while, they let me out of the back room and subject you to me. So I appreciate your patience. But uh, really, uh, last month, we uh, took a break from the letter of James. We had been working through James for a while, and we stopped last month or interrupted it last month to start focusing on a, uh, a series that will, will probably uh, last throughout the year as we do this once a month kind of um, strategy. And that topic was, what makes the church healthy? And so we thought that it was important to bring you into what uh, forms a lot of the thinking of the leadership here at Faith. And we do this even in our membership classes. If you're coming to a membership class, which we'll be announcing, uh, we're, we're kind of retooling our membership class and making it um, a little bit different and stuff. So we don't want to just put it in the calendar because it's supposed to be there at a certain time. We really want to think about how we're making our membership process more effective. But what we often do in our membership class is we try to bring those that are participating up to speed as to what informs the ideas of the church, what is, um, to use the buzz phrase, what's really in the DNA of the church, and, to, and so that people that are, that are um, pursuing membership know that they're joining something they, they have agreement with, they have alignment with, and they know which direction it's going. And so these messages will be, in a sense, little snippets of that. You'll, you'll go, okay, that's why they do that. But not only that, it allows us to remind ourselves what we believe the Bible teaches about a healthy church. And it holds us accountable to make sure that we're adhering to that. And so that's really the goal this morning and the subsequent months is that we take these glimpses of what are the things that really make a church healthy. Now, you may recall in review Last month, I had you raise your hands to various questions, these subjective elements of, you know, was the music too loud or too quiet? Is the room too hot or too cold or things to illustrate the point that we're all going to have varying opinions, not because we're wicked little sinners, although we are, um, but because we're human beings, we have preferences, we have things that we appreciate, we have different perspectives and things. And if we're not careful, those opinions and those perspectives start to over-inform what we think should be taking place in the things that we participate in. Now, the life of the church or the organization of the church is more than just some auxiliary thing that we, uh, that we connect with on Tuesday nights or we get to play cards with our friends or something. This is really the, the, the uh, organism that the Lord Jesus Christ initiated so that you and I would find true life in the, in the flow of doing church together. 
And so the way that we do that, if we're not careful, our opinions and our personalities and everything start to over-inform what we expect to get out of our church as opposed to how we're supposed to participate and put into our church. And so uh, the hand-raising thing was to illustrate that if the leadership of faith wanted to make everybody in the room happy at all times, it would be an impossible task. So fortunately for us, the Lord has given us an instruction manual that is built more on church health than it is on popularity schemes or just reaching um, the current generation we have based on the current wish list or what the buzz phrases, the felt needs of a current generation. It's okay for us to be aware of those things. It's okay to us, for us to adapt certain styles of things. But once we walk away from the backbone of what God intended for his church, the thing is starting to die already. Maybe a quick death or a slow death. And so we want to adhere to the things that make a church healthy. And so we started off with the importance of the word of God last month because everything that we're supposed to do following that or coming out of that is how we handle the word of God. What we really believe the Bible to be. Or maybe even from a more uh, uh, peeled back perspective, if you will, what, who do we think is in charge of this thing? And so we started right out of the gate saying, this is not our, we are not our own authority. We have a senior pastor, we have a team of elders, we have other staff and everything, but all of those pieces answer to a higher authority that is not subjected to the personalities and preferences of a current generation, that these things go back thousands of years. And we started off, or we launched out of John 1, 1. That said, in the beginning was the word, capital W. This is like a sign for West Side if I'm a gangster, right? Or something. West Side? Or I gotta do something. I don't know. There's some gangster symbol. <laughs> Me and my street cred. Um, so, capital W, the, in the beginning was the word. The reason why it's capitalized is because it's the person of Jesus Christ. So, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, our starting point for our topic of church health and, and how the Bible informs that is that Jesus is the word. He is simultaneous. He is, he is interwoven in the word. We don't just say, and this, this is where the practical implications come in. We don't say, well, the Bible says this, but when Jesus came, he didn't say all of that. He only said a few things. So therefore, if Jesus didn't say it, it must not have had as much importance. John 1.1 1, 1 helps us understand that Jesus is the word, that Jesus is everything that was written before, and he is the things that are even highlighted in red in most of our Bibles. He's all of that. And so again, it informs us that the word of God is a solid, trustworthy basis that we can grow a healthy church out of because it's built on the person of Jesus Christ. So if we say we're a New Testament church or we're a Christian church, we know that we need to be a church of the Bible. Paul, writing to Timothy, was his young preacher, apprentice, um, was, was leading a church and Paul was leaving him in charge. And so he sent him a couple of critical letters that we often come back to when we're studying what's the role of the pastor, what's the role of a good, healthy church government and practice and things. Paul was very instructive to Timothy. And in his second letter in chapter three, we saw last month that the Bible says uh, that, that Paul says about the scripture, all scripture is inspired by God, which is literally meaning God breathed because sometimes we get misinformed that if man wrote the Bible because he used a flesh and bone hand to write it, 
Um, if man wrote the Bible, they must be man's thoughts and ideas that he's just being inspired because he saw God out there in creation. And I'm going to write this about God and let's hope I'm right. Instead, Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God and it's relevant. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and even for ongoing training or what we would say is discipleship in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And we didn't get into a lot of church history, but those of you that know a little bit about it and everything know that for a time period there, the church was seen as the final authority on what the Bible says. And there was this great barrier between the people that wanted to know God and then the people and, and then the letter that God left us, his God breathed inspired word. And so eventually there was that revolt and said, well, the Bible is for the common man. It was written for man to know who God is. And so the the reformers use the phrase sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. That, that the Bible is sufficient to stand on its own, that it is accessible to us. And, and then throughout history, we saw God making strides to make his word available to mankind. That the Bible was powerful in and of itself, that it, it didn't really need you and I to make sense of it, that it made sense itself, but he also made it accessible that we could understand it. And so the Bible is this own um, standing uh, on, on its own, and it is this relevant um, uh, piece of information is this relevant living breathing document under helping us understand who god is you might remember last month we talked about the idea of of um you know when we think back to the our favorite movies or our favorite songs as a kid or in our teen years or something we come back to it and we see all the hokiness of of the time period because things have advanced so much and we go i can't believe i like this It's the cheesiest thing in the world or sometimes we come back and we're actually caught off guard. We're surprised. This thing, we, we use the phrase, this still holds up. It still, it transcended the, um, the gimmicks and the, and, the, and the cheesiness of a particular generation gone by or something. And it, and it still is relevant. It still is helpful. Well, even more so, supernaturally speaking, even the Bible still holds up. That when this current generation says, I need real answers for life, I need to go back to a trustworthy source, every time they tap the scriptures for that answer, they will be satisfied. It never runs dry, it never runs deep. And so we said that the Bible still holds up because Paul is telling Timothy that all scripture is profitable for the things that we need. The Bible also says of itself that it, that it carries with it all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so we know that we can trust it as a source. And so that is all in review. And as we are closing out our time, we said this is why we as a church and the church universal need to insist on careful preaching. And, and I know that the scope of our Bible study and our Bible knowledge because of the, especially the, the system that we have set up at Faith where we have small groups going, where we have technology, where we have online videos and all these kinds of things, that our teaching isn't just relegated to one Sunday, that there's more involved and that there's more that goes out. But primarily speaking, our preaching needs to be careful. Now, intentionally, I'm not starting off with our preaching needs to be attractive or our preaching needs to be even a, a, a really great word, but often misunderstood as the word relevant, that our preaching needs to be careful because of the elevation of the scriptures. We have to be careful how we handle it. 
It's almost like we could say it's, it's like handling it with kid gloves because of the importance of it, because of the, the weight of it, and because of the applicability of it. Second Timothy 4, Paul's going to continue uh, as he's instructing Timothy. We just saw a couple of things in chapter 3. He moves on in chapter 4, which is going to be largely our text in the, in the short time we have left. In, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he says this. Now listen to this build up here. I think about this when I, when I was reading this earlier. I was almost thinking like when we, when we hear presidential speeches and they, I don't know if you're this much of a political geek as I can be, but I watched the, uh, the after show. You know, after his speech is done and they pick it all apart and did he say this and not say this and what was his tone with this? And they always use the phrase soaring rhetoric. Was it full of soaring rhetoric or anything? But there's this buildup that is intentionally used in speeches to make us pay attention to a thing that's going to be said coming up. And not that that Paul is guilty of soaring rhetoric here, but I want you to think about in verse one what the buildup is of what he's going to say in verse two. He says this, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. He's getting serious now. Who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. So it's a, it, he's saying a lot of these things that were like, okay, yeah, I know this. Timothy could be saying, I know this, Paul, but he's saying, I don't know that you do. He is going to judge things seriously. He's going to judge things correctly. His power is, is, is over the living and the dead. And so he says, I want you to understand this, his appearing and his kingdom. What? What do you want me to know, Paul? To preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He put pressure on Timothy saying, don't take this lightly. You're going to be seen as a leader, but don't let that go to your head. The weight of what you have to do is so much more important than any uh, temporary popularity you gain or any accolades that you get from doing a good job or anything. That the weight of this needs to be what drives you, Timothy, not just the fact that people are listening to what you have to say. He says, preach the word. And this comes into the category of why we do what we do at faith. And I'm going to try to be brief here because it's a little bit like insider baseball, if you will. It's a little bit um, talking about things that you could easily say, hey, look, Brent, you guys are the ones behind the pulpit. We trust you to work these things out. I'm going to talk to you about some of the things in, in preaching styles and why we do what we do. But I, but I, I promise you, I, I believe this to be relevant in all of our lives. There may be a time where because of life circumstances or what have you, that you may say, I'm going to, I can't stay at faith any longer. I'm, I'm moving. I got a job or that's the only reason why you're allowed to leave, by the way, is if the Lord uproots you and sends you to Arizona or something. And if you were going to Arizona, I wouldn't blame you on a day like today. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, sometimes we find ourselves in different places. You, this is not perhaps this is not the last time you're going to have to evaluate what do I need to look for in terms of a healthy church? What do I need to do to inform myself in these things? And so I think that even though this is a little bit like uh, walking through the weeds, I think it's something that that could help us as long as I don't uh, kill you with boredom in the process. But the two camps that we uh, have a tendency to stay in in terms of preaching styles in our American culture and our English language is expository preaching or topical preaching. There's variations of those things. There's blends of the two, all of that sort of stuff. But to not 
really go too far on all this. I want to just focus on the, the clearer understanding of what an expository message is versus a topical message is. And so uh, expository is one that we would admittedly favor here at faith, not because a verse in the Bible says thou shalt teach expository messages, but because of a few things that I'm going to lay out for you. But it's the uh, the irony in this is that I'm using a topical message right now to tell you why you should be why, why we should insist on more expository preaching, because there are times where a topical message is necessary. I'm not going to read quotes from the books that teach preaching and tell you exactly what expository is and topical. Let me just sum it up in my own kind of crude form and say this. Uh, Our practice of expository preaching is trying the best we can to take a passage of scripture or a text in its complete thought as much as time allows us and extract from that what the original intent of that passage is all about and then seeking to make it relevant and applicable to us as we live in 2018. So it finds its foundation, it finds its anchor point in an overall text or a tone of a letter or a tone of a book or a historical understanding of the time that it's being written. And all of those things, it's taking context into focus and trying to adhere as tightly as we can to that context without veering off too far from it. So obviously I'm setting this up to say, doesn't that sound like the smartest thing to do? We could say, yeah, but there's danger to that too. Remember I said at the beginning that the word of God is is so deep and rich, we can mine it and mine it and mine it, and we'll still always find something for it. The danger in that method is we beat a passage to death or we examine so many things so, so deep. That's why you'll hear Pastor Bill every once in a while saying, I need to get through this point, stick with me, because he knows if I stay here too long, we're all going to go, I don't know where we're going with this. And so it's a balancing act. How much do we dig into this and then move on? And so expository preaching sticks to a text and says, let's make sure we're not missing what God really intended for the hearer to hear. Now, topical message, the danger and the topical side is that I can start cherry picking all the things I like, or I can come up with a topic that I want you to hear, and then I can find a way for the Bible to support my topic. So if I said, I'm just a car guy, so I'm going to use dumb car illustrations. If I said foreign automobiles are better than American automobiles. Now, before you throw tomatoes, I really don't necessarily agree with that. But if I said that, I could probably find some gymnastic kind of way to make you go, hmm, the Bible doesn't say anything about BMWs, but he sure makes a case. What? And then, then, if I'm really persuasive... Maybe I get you thinking about, I'm driving home in my American car. God's not in this. Now, if you doubt me, go assess all the cults that have started in the history of the world. I I confess to you that every once in a while when a TV station does this thing about how cults start, I'm drawn to it. Not because I'm practicing, but because I cannot believe what a leader gets away with. And that thousands upon thousands of people just say, sounds good. Let's follow that. Because what so often happens is that a cult leader, and so often they do come out of Christian type circles or they know the Bible enough. They cherry pick the, the support that they want and they do it with such charisma and magnetism that people go, well, that must be what the Bible says. So we laugh about the fact that I could make a message about the, the pros and cons about foreign versus domestic automobiles. But some guys, the David Koresh's of the world and the Warren Jeffs of the world are able to do that somehow. 
And we, because we are naturally in a sheep mindset, I'm including myself, we're looking for the thing that's persuasive to follow. And so the danger in that, I'm making a huge, huge weighted thing about topical messages. Don't get me wrong. I am preaching one now. Um, that the danger is, is that we can take the things that we want the Bible to support and we can abuse them and that we can probably find a following. People would say, ah, it sounded a little weird at first, but I really like that person. So I gave it some credit. And you know what? Kind of works for me. Let me put it this way. There's a big difference between just preaching from the word of God, which anybody can do, and preaching according to the word of God, which not everybody can do if they're not using the Bible to balance out the Bible. If they're not using sola scriptura, if they're not saying scripture alone, if it says it over here, it's going to be corroborated over here. If the point that that I think God's trying to make is over here, then it's going to be backed up over here. And that's the riches and the depths of God's word, because every time that's tested, it's always proven to be capable of that scrutiny. So real quickly, then what what we would consider it faith to be. The safest and most careful preaching is that which sticks closest to what the word of God was intending for the listener of the time and keeping that in balance as best we can. Here's a warning from Peter. Peter says this, not about expository versus topical preaching. Don't get me wrong. It's about the distortion of the word of God if we're not careful. He says this, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, says just, cutting into verse 15, halfway down, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are the same, in which are some things hard to understand. So he's admitting, look, some of the things that Paul says take a little bit of time to grasp because he's been given that wisdom by God. Some of those things are hard to understand. So then he says, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So the warning there is if we don't treat the words in specifically what Peter's saying and, you know, the words of Paul or other letters and the things that are in the Bible itself, we don't treat it carefully. We could be distorting them to our own destruction. Again, the weight of that says we better be really careful about how we handle the word of God. The great preacher and commentator John Stott says this about this this method or practice of expository preaching. He says, it does not merely obligate preachers to explain what the Bible says. It obligates them to explain what the Bible means in the lives of people today. And that is the weight of that message or that delivery. So Timothy says, I'm charging you, uh, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The church very generously gave me a month off in January. I think they saw my eye twitching and my tongue hanging out or something like that. And, uh, and, and, uh, I was very blessed to be able to have that time. They didn't put any, um, things on me that I had to accomplish or anything. So I set out to accomplish nothing and I did it extremely well. I just want to report back to you. But unfortunately my wife did not have the month off. <clears throat> Um, the boss wouldn't, you know, I'm just kidding, kidding. Um, but, uh, she was behind on her school, uh, work with the kids and stuff. And so she took a good part of the first week off and then got right back into the school thing. So, uh, with the amount of kids we have and the layout of our house, I can't help but hear 
the teaching going on with the homeschooling kids uh, from my wife. And even if the kids are being cooperative and attentive and all these things, now they're not sitting there like in little prayer, like a little house on the prairie, um, you know, with everything lined up and stuff. But even if they're being gener- genuinely good kids, they are so energetic and she needs such great patience and, and she repeats the same answer three times because they're asking the same question three times and she's got kids in different grades and ages in all different directions. And I, uh, and so I, I kind of, you know, I'm observing this. I'm aware of it, but I'm still, you know, dumbfounded by how it actually happens. And I come to this instruction from, from Paul to Timothy and he says, teach with great patience to instruct with great patience because why? We are little children. Even when we're trying to be good little children, the patience that's required in teaching and making sure we're being willing to repeat over and over again, or, you know what, they're not going to get it the first time. I expect them to fall on their face and go, I messed up my equation and everything. Okay, that's why we do it again. Paul needed to tell Timothy, you're going to have to do this over and over and over again. And the thing that helps us so much as, as, as pastors or preachers, if I could be a little bit, a little bit, a little self-serving here as I say this, is that we remind ourselves that God has to do that with us all the time. When a preacher gets out of whack is when he starts thinking, you people never listen to what I have to say. But what keeps them balanced, and dare I say in the ministry for 20 plus years, is a constant reminder of, I need that same repetition and instruction in my own life. And so we try to adhere to that. We try to remind ourselves that. And there's that, there's that humility that comes out because we're little children. So Paul said to Timothy, be willing to repeat, be willing to break it down, be willing to make it accessible. But that isn't the cultural trend. And unfortunately, at the risk of sounding like an old fuddy-duddy, the church by and large is following a cultural trend. For 20 years, I've been kind of saying in my own circles of influence and everything that Oprah is starting to influence the pulpit more than anything else because the pulpit is turning into a bit of a therapy session more than it's turning into a delivery of God's truths and letting, in a sense, the chips fall where they may and the Holy Spirit doing the work of saying, okay, that the people in the congregation needed to hear that. Instead, I see preachers wringing their hands going, if I don't say this exact thing, if I don't say it just the right way. And, and so the, the message gets all yanked around by the hand raising of too hot, too cold, too loud, too quiet. And instead, the, the word of God in its purpose to be fulfilled in the lives of its listeners is being overlooked and avoided. So why is it work, worth bucking this cultural trend or these therapy or these continual topical uh, type sermons and things? Why is the word of God being handled that way? Why should we be resisting that? The very severe warning is given to us again from Paul as he continues his thought in 2 Timothy 4. He says, for the time will come when they, that's us, that's not just the wicked out there and the people who hate church and want to, you know, spray paint the building. That's us for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves to see that the, the power is being shifted here. The authority is we want to hear the people we want to hear, not we trust the one that God sent us says they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own 
desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, as Paul says to him, be sober in all things. He's got an endurance warning too. endure hardship because that's not easy. It's really not easy being um, green. No, that's not what I wanted to say. It's not easy being willfully dismissed. And that's what Timothy's going to have to prepare himself for. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. What does an evangelist do? An evangelist usually says the things that the hearer doesn't want to hear. And the masses of people dismiss them and say, that's not for me. And then one or two will hear it and say, I need that saving faith. I need that hope in my life. Tell me more. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. I think Paul to Timothy and to us is giving us a two sides of the coin kind of uh, charge here. To the preacher, he's saying, present sound doctrine and don't give up. Don't slow down just because it's becoming unpopular. Don't slow down. And, and, and this says nothing about changing styles and adapting to culture in terms of packaging and all that stuff. We, we are a church that has, has been totally fine to do that for a long, long time. But to walk away from the truth just because it's getting harder to swallow, we won't do. So the preacher is charged to present sound doctrine and don't give up. The church is charged to endure it. <laughs> to muscle through. And to say, give me more. Am I really saying this out loud? Yes, give me more. I don't know if I want to keep hearing this. This really hurts. I always find it funny whenever we teach about things that are going on in culture, how we can get 80% of the people nodding their heads and say, that's right. They out there, they need to fix this. And then once the preaching turns inward on the things you and I need to do, we go, someone should do something about that. (laughs) Is anybody going to speak up and say, amen? It's very easy for us to be convicted for other people. It's very different for us to be allowed to be convicted for ourselves. And so Paul says to Timothy and to the church, he says, endure sound doctrine. I would say it like this, desire it. And you say, well, I can't force what I desire. That is not true. Don't buy into this. Well, the heart wants what the heart wants. We take control of that desire. We allow the spirit to say, this is what you need to desire in your life. And we surrender or we obey it or we come before it and say, the desires of the flesh are what keep putting me in the grave. The desires of the spirit are what keep giving me fulfillment in life. The things of the spirit are harder for me to hear. Things of the flesh go down easy. I love that. But so if the, if the leadership of the church is being diligent to present sound doctrine, then Lord, give me an appetite for it. Give me a craving for it and then give me the faith to take the next step and obey it. That's our charge. So twofold charge. It's why we do what we do here at faith, not because expositional preaching is um, in third Timothy, not because topical preaching is somewhere in the lukewarm church in Revelation, (laughs) but because we want to be as careful as we can be with the word of God and stay as close to its meaning as we possibly can under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you all to stand and join me as we close our time and and pray together. Ask the uh, the men to be prepared to stick behind. And uh, if if you can, I know it's a little bit like swimming upstream, even though you're going downhill. If the guys can make their way forward, and ladies, if you can assemble in our hub area as quickly as possible, and then not catch up. 
because the catching up thing means that Michelle's got to shout over you and she's really harsh when you hear her shout, man. It's really... Anyway, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, so much for what you're doing at Faith. We thank you so much, Lord, for giving us this precious gift of a church that we enjoy coming to. Lord, that you've given us these friends, these brothers and sisters in Christ that we encourage one another. Even if we have an hour, hour and a half with each other, it reminds us that we're not alone in this battle. Seeing hundreds of other faith faces, believing what we believe is an encouragement as we go throughout our week. So, Lord, help us to make this time count. Help us to crave it more. Help us to be more obedient to it. Help us, Lord, above all things, to trust your word and, and the voice of the spirit that comes through it as we surrender our lives and our wills to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.